Hey everyone, before we get into this episode with Sean Wolf from Surface and our nephew Ernest, I just wanted to apologize ahead of time since this is going out later than I originally intended. Uh, their run at Pearson's is over at this point. Um, and I just want to apologize to Sean and the whole team over at Surface. Um, they did an amazing job over the last you know month and a half or so doing the pop-up there. And I, to be honest, I lost track of time a bit, but working real hard on the launch of Lunchador. Um, when you hear this, we'll have launched for about a week already. So um, to be honest, I lost track of time and I didn't get this out when I was originally expecting. Um, that being said, I still think there's a lot of cool information in here and a lot about, you know, Sean's history and why he does what he does. So I, th I still think it's worth a listen. So I'm still going to publish it as is. I'm not trying to tweak it to, you know, do anything and cover up what was there. So uh, just FYI that that run is done, but definitely follow Surface. That's S-R-F-U-S to see what else is coming up from them. So when they do their next pop-up, you'll be ready to go and primed to be a part of whatever they're doing. So again, thanks to the team. Uh, thanks to Sean for coming over and being on the podcast. And now we're going to go right into the intro. I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Rochester? Well, why Rochester? Chris Lindstrom was a hoot. He was just so much fun. He never stopped talking. <laughs> I mean, it was great. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. And we don't need any characters around to give the joint atmosphere. Is that clear? Because I'm a pro. That's what pros do. I'm a professional. Look it up in the book. But now, yeah, I'm thinking I'm back. And we are back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. We're into winter. We don't have winter anymore. There's not going to be, it's not even going to snow for two weeks into January. This is awful, but we're here talking about food. We're talking about pop-ups. We're talking about all sorts of things. Guest, why don't you introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Sean Wolf, uh, local chef and currently running a, a pop-up at Pearson's Market and Cafe called Our Nephew Ernest. Sweet. So first, I mean, let's talk about wh what is what is Pearson's? I haven't been in yet, but this is like part of the ever-growing empire of Swan establishments. It is. So Pearson's is a market and cafe based in the old Glen Edith spot right off of Park Avenue. Uh, and it's a it's a brilliant and fascinating space. They they've kind of combined uh, your classic coffee shop with um, a, a lunch counter, essentially, a, a, a cafe, uh, and a retail space where they are, they have a lot of cool gifts, sundry items, uh, they have knives for sale, cookbooks, some pantry items. Uh, I know they got some sauces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're, they're selling some of their specialty items from their group, maybe the dressing from one of the restaurants, a sauce from another one. Anyway, it's a really interesting and beautiful space. They have a, a florist who is setting up a little spot in there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, it's beautifully decorated. Uh, their coffee guy is... Uh, I've been really impressed with him because he sh shares kind of the same level of, 
of obsession as I do. Is that Cannon? Many things. Yeah, John Cannon. Can- Cannon. I, I had him on a long time ago. I need to have him over again because, man, Cannon and I always got along really well. And that's part of the reason I was excited that you're doing this thing was getting you over here because, man, I've known you for a hot minute quite, uh, during some of your now. prior things. And, you know, that's why part of how we always got along as well is like there's just this endless passion for quality and creativity and things like that that just got me excited when I saw what you're doing now. It just, yeah, just sparked something fun in me. Sometimes to a fault, that passion <laughs> we, and obsession. We've all been there, man. We've all been there. Um, so, yeah, so the, the new pop-up, I don't know if you're honest, is at uh, Pearson's. Um, and let's let's put the plugs out now. So where can people uh, get their reservations? Because this is a full experience of a pop-up. Uh, where can people get their reservations and uh, lock in one of the dates? Uh, surface.com is our website, S-R-F-U-S, and that's kind of an umbrella name company uh, that we, we operate uh, out of. Uh, my culinary partner is, is Andy Zoller. Uh, he's a pastry chef by training, but he has expanded into to all sorts of directions. Uh, he does not cease to amaze me with his desserts. Sometimes he'll come to me with an idea and I'll say, eh. And then <laughs> you know, he presents it at the time and I, I'm just always awed by what he does. Uh, but surface.com is our website uh, there. There's, you know, there's a big splash, Our Nephew Ernest, and there's a book now button that'll take you to talk and you can pick any uh, remaining dates and times. And it looks like that's running right now through January 15th or is that 25th? January 25th um, is, is our end date. It's possible uh, that we may add a week to the end of that if, um, if there's more, if people can't get tickets and they're like, oh my God, we missed it. Um. But that's how you make reservations. Uh, it's a prefix menu. Uh, there's three appetizer choices. Uh, everybody will get the same salad, five entrees, three desserts to choose from. Um, and no matter what you get, we have a curated beverage pairing for that particular course. So we're not just having one one thing with the apps, one thing with the entrees. Yeah. Depending on what you get is is gonna is gonna depend on what you're poured. Well, I, I love that idea too, because it's when I use the term experience, I was using it purposefully because when when I when I looked at the menu, um, when I was looking at the menu and all the different options, uh, one for for a pop up having as many options as you have for entrees and uh, appetizers and desserts is a little bit uh, a little bit uh, extra, but also uh, exactly what I would expect for what you do. We wanted to make it appealing. We, we, yeah. <clears throat> food is a very interesting thing, and the way people feel about food is, is it's such a, a subjective, unique experience per person. Um, sometimes the stuff we do is a little out there, mm-hmm. and so we wanted to make sure that there was enough so that nobody said, oh, there's, there's nothing I, I could eat there or, or nothing I want. So we wanted to... We wanted to make something that was appealing to a, a wider audience without diluting our product, di- diluting the kind of uniqueness and, and energy we want to put into the dishes. Well, I think that, I mean, the term I would use for that is like, you, you don't have to compromise to uh, be more inclusive. Um, and I think compromise is a, is, a tough, is a tough thing with people who have passion for specificity, passion for 
making things as good as they can be. And like I know I run into that all the time with uh, a lot of the restaurants we work with for Nominate that are of you know specific origin cuisines. And there there's always this balance of I want to bring the truest flavors of what I want to bring, but at the same time they have to keep the doors open and there's a balance. And you see it often with uh, I mean, there's this place in Pittsburgh. I'll call it the name because I love the place. Um, it's a Syrian place in Pittsburgh Village, which again is a it's a little bit of a weird thing. Like, oh, there's a true Syrian place there, but on the menu, like um, just like uh, Sinbad's, like on Park Ave, they have pastas. Well, that's they're serving things that people appeal to the Mediterranean aspect of it, but they're definitively a Syrian place. The rest of the food is Syrian, zero doubt about it. But the other things are made, hey, we have to keep the doors open, and Pittsburgh people want some Mediterranean pasta with olives in it. Sure, that's, a, that's, that's what all chefs and restaurant owners face is, okay, he, he, here's my passion, here's my product, here's what I want to do, here's what I'm really excited about. Geez, how commercially viable is this? I mean, I have to make a living. I, I, I personally am not thinking that I'm ever going to get rich off of doing this, but I mean, I do have to pay the mortgage. For sure. Um, so finding the balance between what are the things that are interesting, how, how far can you kind of push your audience without alienating them, but also how can you not be so out there that there's only three people locally that, that have any interest in what you're doing? Yeah. No, it's interesting. So so when, so I guess let's let's take a step back. So this started in... This started in December. That's right. So what was going on before that, and what drove you to do something like this? Where, what was the main thing before this? I'm not sure if this is like the main thing right now or if this is on the side or what's going on with that right now. It's a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, so, so what I've been finding, I think, is going to work for me as a professional chef. Um, the, it's... To be frank, Chris, it's been a tough couple of years professionally for me. And what yeah. I've found is I end up taking jobs that maybe aren't the right fit because I, I need an executive chef job. There's only X number of those. And then I have these weird passions that I pursue. And it's not, the, the fit is not always perfect, which mm. leads, to in, leads to inevitable results, Right. So I, I think the, the strategy that I've come up with is doing something during the daytime that's going to pay some money, that's going to pay the bills, and then really be able to explore my passions um, in the free time where we can really do things that we're not, it's not somebody else's money that I'm gambling with right. in, in effect. Um, so that's that's the direction that I'm moving in. And I have not dialed in exactly what that daytime component is going to be. You know, yeah. you find something that's going to be flexible enough that, hey, geez, uh, on these dates, I'm going to have to either be off, leave it to, whatever it is. It's really funny that you mentioned that because that's, you know, we're, um, you know, with the, the launch of our podcast network, we work with a lot of different creatives creative people of all different angles from photography to traditional art to, um, you know, people who are doing food stuff, people who are doing coffee, people are doing you know, all sorts of different things. And that, that everybody finds their balance with these things. And I'll speak for myself personally, 
you know, it took me a long time. I, I felt lacking for a long time where I needed this other thing. Because I've, I've been an engineer in the engineering-related field from aerospace or automation my whole career. Um, but I never felt like I had the other things that kept me excited and engaged and delighted with the amazing opportunities out there. And for me, once I found those and started building community and getting more present with other things, I became better at my day job too. It really is. I mean, we need fulfillment in life, right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, we're creatures that yes, we're capable of getting up and, and punching a clock and, 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 and grinding through something. Some of us are better at it uh, than others, but, but ultimately we need something that, that, we need motivation, right? And, and and what provides more motivation than passion? Yeah. So if you can find something that you're passionate about and you can find time, and many people have hobbies. Uh, for me, the obsession became greater than that. I mean, I did not commit to being a, a chef until I was in my early 40s. Um, well, yeah, what was, yeah, what was the, what was the precipitating, like, were you doing just like regular, regular day job stuff before then? Yes, so yeah, I, I guess I'll give you the whole background. Yeah, I mean, we out can of, at least somewhat. Yeah, out of high school, um, I you know I wanted to be an artist. Yeah, uh, but I didn't really know what that meant at that time. You know, I, I thought it meant like maybe visual arts or, and the thing is, I have absolutely no talent at 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 quote unquote art. Me, me either. <laughs> I, I I can't draw. I try and draw something and, and what comes out is nothing like what I'm intending to draw. I, yeah. I can't even take a good photograph. My my wife's an amazing talent with that stuff. Like she can just visualize something. Like she picked up crocheting once and she's like, Man, I want to make this animal. And she did it from her brain with no pattern. She's just like, oh, I'm just and it was like the third time she had crocheted something that was not a hat. I'm like, the it, hell are you doing? How do you do this? That always astonishes me when people can do that. But I, mean, I guess in time, I found that with, with with food. I found that food is a medium that that I seem to have some aptitude in working with. But at the time, back after I, I didn't know what art meant. I knew that I wanted to be creative. I went to art school. What happens when you go to art school? You're qualified to continue doing whatever you had been doing before that. Yeah. Uh, and so I continued uh, being a line cook. Um, and I, I I had a family and said, geez, I, I got to find something to do that, that makes some money. So I, I went back to college and studied engineering and, 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 and worked in industry for a little bit, but still there was this big hole uh, in my life where I, I just didn't feel fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was, I, I was hitting on, on all the cylinders that I wanted to. Um, and around that time, we, we, and this is maybe around 2010, um, we, we started uh, Alinea in Chicago uh, which is a, a oh you were a, in a Chicago modern super high end restaurant. And I was not at that time. Oh, I do have a Chicago background. Okay, I was not there at that time. But but uh, uh, Alinea was rising to prominence. Okay, you know and and also uh, El Bulli, which was you know the the, the temple of modern gastronomy. Uh, news of it was, was was trickling down to people that weren't f- fine dining people and uh, yeah, and it was exciting. I, I think. Take, taking a step back for a second, because just to remind people, this was, you know, late, late aughts, 
um, you know, probably starting like 2008 going in. Uh, this was, you know, as he mentioned, Ferran Adria from El Bulli, um, you know, all, you know, his, uh, his brother was doing amazing stuff there. And uh, obviously what Grant Ackett's was doing, uh, the team and not just him, obviously uh, the team over at Alinea starting that. And there was this drive towards this almost avant-garde modernist cuisine was kind of one of the ways it was talked about. Lots of high-end techniques. Um, when people talk about things that are now like almost retro, when we're talking about like spherification, we're talking about gas things. We're talking foams. Foams, foams is something that it's you're starting to see again. Like it, it's and com- it's coming back. But right. like that was like so new. Even weirdly, it almost came back from the '80s. But it was done in a very different way, and that was like the second wave of that. You know, '80s was almost a little precious, and this started getting playful, right? And it was it was a fascinating time to read about this stuff. And I I agree completely. When I read about that stuff, it was like my brain lit up with excitement, just because it was like I can't believe people do this with food. Yeah, so somewhere in that time, I was randomly in a bookstore, Barnes and Noble, maybe Borders. Remember bookstores? Yeah, right. We were talking about media play yesterday at our nominate holiday gathering. Yeah, it's like we're like all of roughly the age. We're like, oh, we used to go to media play and buy CDs. Yep. <laughs> yep. My, my, I mean, too much of my life was like, can I afford fifteen bucks on a new CD this week? No, but I'm gonna do it anyway. <laughs> but seeing what these guys were doing, so I bought the Alinea book at the, oh, wow. at the bookstore, and it was all wrapped in plastic. You know, I had no, I, maybe I had heard of Alinea, but I wasn't sure what it was. There was no way to open the book and look at it. And I said, you know what? I need this for some reason. I opened it up, and my jaw really dropped. I hadn't realized or been able to wrap my brain around, we have these kind of preset ideas about food, what food is, what food should be. Uh, and and this Alinea book turned it all on its head for me, right? We, we can reimagine uh, the, the way things could be could be presented. So that kind of fueled my, my passion and, and really made me want to commit like, hey, I think this is the way for me. And, and, it, and it tied both kind of aspects of my life together. The art aspect, right? We're, we're creating something. We're, we're trying to create something, not necessarily that's never been done, but, but look at things through a different lens. And then the technical aspect uh, married very well with, with my kind of science and engineering background. Okay, it's about processes. It's about technology. So I got very excited at that time, and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to be a chef. I want to just kind of see where I can take things, what, mm. what, what I can do. So, so that was the, the, the genesis, and I, and, I, and I had to try and figure out, okay, how, how, do, how do I make this a reality if this is what I'm going to do? And I, I started uh, uh, around that same time, uh, the Strathallen Hotel had been torn down to the studs uh, a complete renewal and they were opening uh you know they were rebooting their their restaurant and they were opening char at the time i had been in buffalo for uh, the few years prior and i it was coming back to rochester at that time where, where I, were you in buffalo were you working in restaurants i was not okay I, this I was, was working uh, okay. i was not in restaurants at that time actually at that time i spent a couple of years traveling the country the distilling industry was burgeoning 
Oh. Uh, the, 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 the micro distilling. The new craft distilling the wave. Craft distilling. Yeah. Because that was just when it was starting. Just starting. So there were fewer than 200 kind of micro distilleries in the country. And there were some groups. Um, and I went around and I met all these people. And I, and I, and I traveled to a bunch of different distilleries to kind of observe uh, their process. Because that was something that I thought that I might get into. Uh, it was it's another confluence of science and creativity exactly all at the same time. And, uh, you can see I'm, I'm definitely into that stuff. Um, since I think one of the last times we had, uh, you know, caught up, I actually ended up getting my WSET level two spirit cert. Oh, that's great. I'm a, uh, I do spirit judging in competitions and stuff too. Oh, that's great. I just dove into it hard cause it's like endlessly fascinating. Well, that I mean, that's the thing that I find. There's so many rabbit holes, right? Oh, God, and, they never end. And, and Chris Grocky once said to me, like, you know, I'm surprised you never gotten deeper into the wine side. And I said, there's only so much bandwidth, right? <laughs> so you have relationship with Psalms, you have relationships with people that are really into this, and you figure out, okay, how can we work together to make something that's greater than either of us would do on our own? And same, and one shout-out to Chris Grocky, one of my absolute favorite people um you know we've we've crossed over you and i with him in like butting up against it and other things that we'll dive into later but shout out to one of the good guys of rochester chris crocky doing amazing things still he is he is where were we oh yeah we were uh, we were getting into you were coming to back to rochester and uh char launching which yeah, right. we'll get into him too <laughs> yeah char was launching so and and the chef was this guy uh jeremy nuccelli who had been in new york for uh several years uh and and kind of had made his way back and 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 was doing some of these things uh, that I was learning about, right? They're, they're, they're working with these Issy canisters and, and, and cooking sous vide and, and doing a lot of the stuff that I had been reading about and was, and was excited about. But if I wanted to experience any of it, I had to travel to a different city to, to, to see. So I was really excited about the opportunity uh, to get in there with Jeremy. Uh, I eventually did. Uh, I sent my resume at, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything. What's going on? What's going on? Finally, I called them and I said, is there something wrong with my resume? Is there, like, why haven't you called me? <laughs> I love that that's the, first, that's the first call. He's like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, what did I do wrong? How could you not have called me yet? So, and, and he did, and, and, and we started a, a, a great relationship. I, I learned an awful lot from Jeremy. Yeah. Uh, and... and, and I owe him a lot uh, in terms of my career. And then from there, I, I kind of tried to chart a course that would get me to a place of being able to do the really interesting, uh, cool things, th things that scratch that itch for me. Yeah. Um, eventually, uh, in 2016, through Chris Grocky once again, uh, he called me in to consult on a project. Uh, side note, though, Chris was working as front of house at Char during that time, uh, which has been, is that when you met him for the first time? Was I, I met Chris for the first time at Char. He uh, and, and his group, the SCN Hospitality Group, was coming in to kind of take over management of that as I was kind of on my way out. Uh, so so we didn't get too close at that time, but that's definitely where we met each other. And yeah. And our relationship started. In 2016, he was consulting on a project um, 
really an expansive uh, project in Leroy called Farmer's Creekside Tavern and Inn. And I got to say, like, just to pause before we dive into that, one of the most wildly ambitious, like, projects that has come along in the last decade in our area, the 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 scope of where it was going originally was, like, I, I, I still can't believe that, like, that whole thing came together for for as long as it did at the first way it came out. It was wild. It was a hell of a thing. I just want to preface ever, the rest of everything that's coming after that with it was wildly ambitious and those expectations were met for a good hot minute. It, it, it was a great experience um, for me and, and it really kind of shaped where my mind is at now. Yeah. But anyway, background for the people. Um, it, it was essentially a, a, a pile of rubble. There was a catastrophic fire at this long time uh, place. It was called the Creekside Tavern. It was called, uh, I think, the Ganson House. It was a number of things. Uh, it was always significant in Leroy, but there was a catastrophic fire. Um the, the building was, was made with this Marcellus shale that was harvested from the, the uh, adjoining, the, 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 the adjacent creek by the, like the town's founders or whatever. But oh, yeah. the, the, it essentially was a pile of rubble sitting next to the creek. The owner of the building called Bill Farmer, who is a, a, a mason that specializes in, in restoration, historic restoration specifically, um, and said, so give me a, give me a quote, uh, getting this back up. And, and Bill gave his quote and the guy said, essentially said, uh, just, uh, just take it. <laughs> Do you want it? Just take it. Um, and he began the long process of, of, of reassembling those stones one by one, imagining what that space could be. And just a tremendous amount of, of credit goes to him being able to imagine what could exist right there. Because I, I certainly couldn't. I mean, they told me the thing, and I was like, what are you talking about? You guys are insane. Uh, but they kept after me. They said, hey, we need someone to consult on, on, on designing this kitchen and designing some of the bars and this. And I, I kind of begrudgingly uh, <laughs> came along and, and and the three of us were tied at the hip for a good year. Yeah. Uh, it was a year before we opened on just kind of, okay, what color is this wall going to be? Wow. Like every part of that facility was, was agonized over, okay, what's its ultimate use going to be? How can we make it the best that it possibly uh, can be? Yeah, and I'm really proud of the work that that we did, and that there's myriad other other people involved. Oh, I tons. don't want to say that it's just me, Chris, and Bill built this 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 building, but I, I can only speak to the relationship <laughs> that th the three of us had. And the, so so we we built this beautiful facility, and one of the things that that I personally had to think about at the time was, okay, we're out here kind of in, in the middle of nowhere. It's not really in the middle of nowhere, but it's distant from downtown Rochester, which sure. is the major population center. Um, and, okay, how can we make something that, that's interesting enough to draw people, you know, from, from a larger radius, 
but also make something that's not alienating to the people that are in the community. You know, that community has an expectation of, of what that is. The building had been there for 100 years, operated as people had their proms there, people had their graduations there, their weddings. The facility meant something to the community. So we had to honor that. For sure. In, in our plan, right? But also, we wanted to make something that was really interesting and really great. Um, so I got to thinking, what is a restaurant? What What does a restaurant mean? Does it, is, it, is, it, is everything, are restaurants at their highest form as they are now? Um, and and I, I don't know if the answer is yes or no, but for me, it, it just got me thinking about a lot, a lot of things that I hadn't thought of uh, previous. And one of the things that I came up with is I believe restaurants have an obligation to the community. Um, as I've gotten older, I've, I, I believe more and more that relationships drive business. And I, I started thinking about like a chef's relationship with the guest, not an individual guest, but the, the, the guest as a, as an everyman or a. Sure. And, you know, it's like any other relationship. You meet someone, you put your best foot forward, you're very polite, you, but over time, trust crows um and, and and the things that are interesting for me are kind of out there right but as you you grow with this relationship with the guest you can kind of push them and steer them into things that they might not on day one have been like all right this is wild um and but the other side is how can we be a presence in the community how can we serve the community right so that's the balance that we're always trying to find how can we do wild stuff and how can we also be servants to the community. Um, and, and, and that's where my thinking about what restaurants are, what food are, began to evolve. Mm. Well, and especially in a place like that where... Welcome to Behind the Studio Door, where we dig into the vibrant creative landscape of Rochester, New York. Hi, I'm Molly Darling, and along with my co-host Christian Rivera and our fabulous producer Chris Lindstrom, it's my pleasure to guide you through the dynamic world of our local creative professionals. Each episode offers a unique glimpse into the studios of those who enrich our Rochester community with their artistic vision. Join us as we explore the diversity and talent in Rochester, revealing the compelling narratives and creative journeys that exist just beyond the studio door. Hey, it's Pauly Guglielmo, host of the Pauly Guglielmo Show here on the Lunchador Podcast Network, where we talk entrepreneurship and all of the trials and tribulations, pitfalls and rewards, and there are many, of owning a small business. We do interviews with some of your local favorite business owners, learning how they built their brands, the struggles they faced along the way, and what they have in store for the future. And sometimes it's just me detailing my own daily wins and losses. It's called the Pauly Guglielmo Show, and I'd be honored if you'd check it out. New episodes come out every Sunday morning. Like you do have to have the te you have to have the regulars, which are the people who live there. You need the regulars to maintain a place like that. Is when you're talking about ambitious spaces, you need consistent customers, and the town is what's going to drive that. It's not going to be people driving 40 minutes from downtown Rochester, being your you know once twice a week, three times a week regulars that you need to maintain a place. So it like being both like true special occasion and being the everyday place at the same time 
like those things can either merge and become harmonious or they can clash and prevent either from being truly successful. And that's, that is a, it is a challenge. That's a fundamental challenge. There's kind of a phrase that we threw around a lot at that time was if you try to be everything to everyone, you end up being nothing to anyone. Yeah. Um, So I, I, I feel that we did a good job kind of threading the needle. Um, and, and they continue to today. I mean, the direction is, is, is a little bit different than, than what we had. Um, but they continue to be a spot out there that, that, that provides a, a luxury experience, but also is, um, is, is a foundational business in the town. Yeah, and you can go there more regularly if you want to eat specific things and do that. Um, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, we're going to finish off with a couple minutes about that. Cause I want to talk about like my first extensive experience with you there. Um, but we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And we're back with the second half of our conversation with Sean Wolf from surface. That's S R F U S.com. Uh, get your tickets for an upcoming seating of our nephew, Ernest held at Pearson's, uh, which is the old Glen Edith, which is the old poor coffee, which is, uh, still highlighted by John Cannon. Shout out to John Cannon doing awesome coffee work there. Um, so we left off talking about uh, Farmer's Creek side and some of that stuff. And I wanted to talk about, like, we, we had met before I had my, I had a birthday event there. And this was, we, we had talked a, a bunch before because, you know, I'm a nerd. I loved what was going on there and some of the quality. And I'd met Chris Grocky before and everything like that. But I decided to have one of my birthdays there, and you guys dialed it up hard for that for that evening that we had there. I think it had like 10 people, 10 or 12 people. And man, the menu, everybody dialed up and the service. It is it was one of the most exceptional, like full dining evenings I've had that you guys just crushed. I mean, between what Grocky was doing, the like that wine that Drew Chappett brought in. He brought in a birthday wine for me. He bought it off of auction. It's sitting on the shelf right there. And this, this was one of the special evenings I've ever had dining. One, I wanted to say thank you because that was an amazing time. But I want to talk about like the experience of doing that for people, like coming up with that kind of stuff. Well, you're welcome. And <laughs> thank you for your kind words. Yeah. Um, and, and that's rewarding because that is the the purpose of it. Really, that's kind of the the meaning of hospitality, right? Okay, we we have a, a human here that's having an event, right? You have a birthday, and I think it was a significant birthday. It ended in a five or a zero, and yeah, but for sure. Um, and in Creekside, especially, everything started with the wine or or the beverage. Um, so so we had three certified sommeliers on staff. Uh, it really was an ambitious thing uh, that that we were doing out there. The level of talent was special. Uh, it, it it really was, and not only just like level of talent, but the way we all kind of meshed and were able to mm. to work together. And, and maybe one person's strengths w- would would overlap with another person's weaknesses, right? So we have this kind of gestalt of the product ended up being much greater than the sum of its parts. 
Um, but so we start with a beverage, right? So Drew says, oh, we have the special, the special wine. Okay, w- w- what is it? What does it taste like? What, what, are the, what are the flavors? Is there a story behind the wine that, that we can pick up? And then we, we, we build dishes based around the wine rather than usually the other way around. Like, oh, we have a dish. What wine are we going to put with it? Yeah. So, so all the stuff we do is, is really purpose-driven it's to, to be a whole, right? It's not just a food and a wine, the, the, the kind of design to have this symbiotic relationship. Um, and yeah, so we knew that we had a, a you were coming for a special event. Uh, I think we did a tasting menu for you. Yeah, we did, yeah. Um, that, that we paired with some, the, some wines that they wanted to get in front of you, and we built the dishes around that. And that is the thing that 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 feeds us yes we're feeding you physically but we're feeding our own whatever our own souls our, our own passion our, our own drive to do something exceptional but also to to, to share it the, the audience is is the biggest part of that um so i'm glad we hit the mark for you and i'm glad that that stays in your kind of memory banks as a oh yeah i think there's like I think if you're if you're a serious food and beverage person, I think everybody has those moments, and not of them, not all of them are that kind of experience, right? It's not always like oh, this is this you know, beautifully beautifully catered and you know, high level service and everything just felt it felt so tied to me, and it was shaped around me because people like like Chris knew me and we already we had a relationship. And it was really catered around that. And it was special because of that. But at the same time, like, I've also had just other, like, I just show up and, like, something clicks in your head. I was in Toronto this uh, Toronto this summer and spring, and I tried uh, Trinidadian food uh, for the first time. And it, when, I, when I bit into it the first time, one of, the, one of uh, my wife's, uh, Carrie's customers at a convention, he was from the area and was Trinidadian. And I'm like, Oh, I was looking to try this food. Where should I go? He's like, this is the place I've been going since I was a kid. And he sent me there. That's great. And I went and I had it. I'm like, Oh, you, you get so excited when something's awesome and you get so, so disappointed when things are bad. I get, I get crushed when I go somewhere and I'm excited and it's just not good or it doesn't know what it is. And all those experiences, those are the ones that echo in my brain when I go somewhere new. I want it to be awesome. I never want it to be bad. And that that's, you know, having that experience, those things echo in your head. And that's like I said. I want to say thanks, but that, that part of that process that you go through to cater those things, like that's that was specifically customized to me. And now you get the opportunity to make a whole menu that people can choose things, but there's still that intentionality with everything you're doing on what you're doing now with, you know, our nephew Ernest and that kind of thing. There is. So typically we do like what we did for, for, for your event, which is a tasting menu, right? Yeah. We, we want to, we want to curate every kind of step, every emotion you're going to feel throughout the meal. And this was something that we haven't done before, and we really wanted to do some exploration with, I don't know, it, it makes me think kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book when you're yeah. a teen, you know. You, you can take it so that the, the experience is more 
subjective for the person. You mm. can kind of make choices uh, that work for you. So I, I want to go to the roots of like a tasting menu and how that how that works in your head. So when when you're thinking about when you're thinking about a menu like this, um, and we're 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 pivoting, you know, from to what you're doing now with our nephew Ernest and over there and everything. Um, I want to I kind of want to talk about how how do you think about how do you think about a menu like that? Let's say you're just coming up from scratch, right? You haven't created this yet. How do you start that process? Because now you've done this a number of times. How do you start the process from scratch of this is what we're doing? Like, what's how does that go in your head when you're doing that? There's myriad things that could be the catalyst um, uh, for you know any, any menu, any, any event. For me, the the big thing is exploring, okay, why do we do things? Why are there traditions? You know, are they oftentimes just arbitrary? Hey, we did this two years in a row. Now it's a tradition. This is, and then, you know, after a hundred years, well, we couldn't possibly break from tradition. Uh, a, a lot of the technique involved in cooking. Um, the questions that I ask is, do we have to do it this way? Is there mm. another way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? Is there a way that's not necessarily better, but just different? Can we look at this from different angles through different lenses? And that's the thing that really gets me going. When, when I'm on something like that, I have boundless energy. You know? mm. and, and at other times, you, you have to fight your way through every step. Um, but w when we're building a menu, that there may be a, a particular ingredient that we want to work with. And a dish may start that way. I, geez, you know, I've been thinking a lot about kohlrabi. All right, I want to get kohlrabi on this menu somehow. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have told me, I just can't stop thinking about kohlrabi. <laughs> <laughs> how do you spell it? Why in the hell is it called this? <laughs> right. Why is it kind of rare? Like it's, but anyway, be thinking about something or maybe there will be a, a, a wine, a, a beverage, anything. Okay, geez, we would like to maybe feature something. We would like to introduce people to something maybe that they hadn't uh, seen previously. So yeah, here's a hook and it drives you in a direction. Yeah, but, but oftentimes we will start with just something it may not be the main protein of a dish again it yeah. might be kohlrabi and and that's where our name surface kind of originated we'd know that we wanted to do something on a menu and we'd be building the menu thinking, okay what kind of what, what are the wines that we're going to have what are the foods and, and it was a placeholder it stood for some real fucked up shit yeah we didn't know what it was going to be but we knew you know we had not it was going to be kohlrabi based yeah what its final form was going to be we had no idea at that point yeah um, so, so that's where we'll stay. There, there will be a thing maybe that we want, and that's a course. And yeah. then we figure out, okay, are, are we, where does this fit in our menu? You know, are we, it always sounds precious to say it out loud, Yeah. but we want to take our guests kind of uh, on a journey, right? We want to curate, curate this experience, um, so, so where does where where does this fit? Where's the time that we're we're going to put this thing in for for maximum impact? Um, and that's that's where we start from, oftentimes. Yeah, and it, it's kind of it's kind of fun to think about 
think about the different process. I, I love process. We were talking about it earlier. I love process because it's when you learn how somebody thinks about things, you can understand dishes differently. You can understand stuff differently. Um, I'm going to take a brief aside before we get in. I want to dive into a couple of the dishes that are on the menu okay. just out of like, there's things on there that are really interesting and creative things that I want to dive into the details on. Uh, but I also wanted to bring up like we've, we've butted against each other a couple times. Um, we were, uh, you were doing one of, uh, I think it was the first surface pop-up, right? Was at, was at the German house doing fish fries during the pandemic. Right. Uh, and that was, you know, wildly popular lines and tons of stuff and, you know, super successful in for what it was doing that at the time. And weirdly, after that ended, we started doing our pop-up curate, now nominate, at the German house because uh, Chris reached out to me to, you know, go start doing some stuff there, and which was wildly generous of him to offer his space and time um, with no or very little return because he was opening the building for us. And I will endlessly thank him for turning us even more legitimate than we were. Um, I have endless thanks for that, but... It was amazing that, like, we butted against each other then because that ended and our thing came in just to, like, oh, we want that mentality. want to do stuff. We want to have fun. And it was amazing to butt up against something that was so successful. Yeah, that, that was cool. That, that was a great experience. And I think I told you this off mic, but Andy, uh, my partner, really drives us doing stuff. I will sit and think and plan endlessly. And like, if it can't be perfect, then I'm not ready to do it. And Andy is really like, Hey, it's time to do something. We got to do something. I'm like, okay. 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 Uh, the fish fry was something that we had talked about. We were, we were driving somewhere. I don't remember where we were, but we were somewhere a little bit rural and we drove by a firehouse and they were, you know, fish fry this on the 19th. And it was a fundraiser for, the firehouse. And we said at that time, I want to do that. I want to do events that are like these, these, these kind of common events that are fundraisers all over the place. A fish fries one. uh, Sometimes it's a spaghetti dinner, a chicken barbecue. And all of those are on the, they're, they're on the fire kind of percolating and, and they'll pop up someday. There's something about those things, like especially growing up in, Western New York, you know, Buffalo and Rochester, like one of the smells of Buffalo in the summer is Chevetta's barbecue. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the distinct smells of Buffalo between, you know, the General Mills Cheerio factory on the water, right. a Chevetta's barbecue and Buffalo. So those are smells that like I can smell chicken wings frying outside of a restaurant. I don't need to go in. I know what's going on because it's one of the smells of where you grew up. I find if I catch the aroma of like a buffalo wing, yeah. I am then compelled to eat buffalo. Like I, I must have it at that point. Yeah. Um, so the fish fry, we decided we're going to do this fish fry. And I said, I, I don't want to do it unless we can make the best possible fish fry that there is. And, and so then we started thinking, what are the factors that make a fish fry good? Right. And we, so we analyze those it needs to be crisp. It needs to be flavorful. It needs to be not too fishy, not too strongly flavored of a fish. Uh, so we started identifying, okay, what's the fish we're going to use? What's the process, right? We're going to brine this fish to, to give it a little better, uh, 
texture and flavor and then the breading, right? This is going to be a takeaway thing. So we have to make sure that this is something that's not going to be soggy by the time people get it on. Yep. So we worked and worked. We, we started with an idea, what we thought was going to work. We made it, oh boy, this sucks. Uh, it didn't turn brown at all. It's like this white f- fish fry. Nobody's going to want this. No. Okay, so maybe we're going to try a different starch on the outside. And uh, I think it took us 17 iterations before we got <laughs> to the thing that yeah. was like, okay, here it is. The platonic ideal of a fish fry, right? It's crisp. The batter's not heavy. It's um, Maintains its texture, taking it away. I mean, it, that's, that's, a, that's a challenge that, like, I think people don't understand if you, again, if you're obsessive about quality, that that distance between your pickup and eating it at home is wildly challenging. Uh, I was talking with uh, uh, Luis Perez over at Peels on Wheels, and that's something he has obsessed about because, like, pizza and chicken wings, like, he doesn't do chicken wings, but pizza is, people think it's a delivery food. It's awful. It's, it's a terrible yeah. delivery food it's, because the texture, if we're obsessive about quality, all those little textural things, the delicate balance between crisp and chew and you don't want any sog, you don't want this, that's a huge challenge. And he obsessed over that and changed yeah. his flowers to get it right. And I, I, I appreciate because when you say 17 things, people are like, why are you doing it 17 times? Because you want it to be great when it gets home. That's that makes right. all the we're, difference. We're, so, I mean, what we do is we try and sell an experience, right? And when we're in a facility, we have control over the temperature inside the building, the lighting, the decor that are on the tables. We control all of those things for your experience. Something that you're taking away, we don't know how far away you live, we don't know how it's going to be handled, so we wanted to make it as bulletproof as possible, control as much as we could, so that when it was on your table at home, you were getting a product that was at least as good as it would have been had we served you in, a, in our space. Yeah, and that's, you know, I love that that happened, and I love that, and See, look at this. This is the transition. This is this is the professional radio transition. I'm calling it off. And I could see that on some of the dishes that you were creating on the new menu for our nephew Ernest. Look at that. Isn't it professional as fuck? Awesome segue. Because <laughs> um, I, I saw you posted a few of the dishes with some uh, really interesting uh, artwork. Um, you know, you know, some you know, bright colors and interesting stuff there. And I saw a couple of the dishes and your description of them. And one that hooked me right away was an ingredient. So I hope it's all right if we dive into a couple of the dishes. Cause I was, I just want people to understand like what goes into creating some of these dishes from scratch. Cause some of these are not, these are not traditional dishes. These are the echo tradition, but they're a very different uh, combination of those things to come up with something different. Uh, one of them I saw was based on smoked chestnuts, and it's something that's so it's so American chestnuts, you know, American and British. It's so here. We had so many chestnut trees, and it drove so much of cuisine in the early days, and now they're basically all gone. Like, chestnut trees are gone in America for all intents and purposes. Um, and to have a dish that highlights that ingredient just seemed fascinating. 
You talk about that dish on the menu. I, I, I personally love that dish and it, it's took a bunch of iterations, uh, to come to, to end up in its final form. Uh, it, it originally, the original idea was uh, a terrine, uh, with burrata, mm. um, in it. W- and it just kind of evolved over time. We started making components, and and one of the things was uh, it was going to be burrata kind of surrounded in this really umami jelly, so super flavorful. Because um, the idea is caprese, right? And uh, so, what do you have with caprese? You have this really rich, creamy cheese, and then you have umami and acidity with the tomato, a little sweetness with the, the balsamic and the herbaceous uh, component with the the basils. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to just kind of take a look at that dish and present it in a way that was unrecognizable. Um, we got to the point where, like, you know, we don't need burrata at all. Really, we just want the inside of the burrata. That's that's the best part uh, to me, anyway. So we started looking around at different. We toyed with the idea of making it. Uh, it, it was too much for us. Pull, pulling mozzarella, especially to do on a on a scale that you know was fairly small. Yeah, to uh, shout out Luis Perez, like he's, he makes his own mozzarella too, which is wild, but he's also serving a ton of it every day. Yeah, you you can set up to do that in volume. It's you part know? of and, the process. And, and again, yeah, and, and it's a labor of love, right? For and sure. One of the things that I always say to, uh, to young chefs that I'm working with is, if it were easy, everyone would do it. And yeah. if everyone was doing it, why would people come get it from us? Yeah, it's also picking your battles too, like... Take your battles for what is going to add the most value at that time. Right. So we looked around at uh, a, a couple different commercially uh, available varieties, and we found this kind of artisanal mozzarella maker uh, located in Boston called Mozzarella House. Mm. Um, and th- their stracciatella was was creamier but less liquidy than uh, – it's just really a superlative product. And we said, okay, let's feature this – and then build the dish around it. Um, and I had known that I wanted chestnuts on the menu because it's a, a traditional kind of Christmas wintertime um, food, but I didn't want like just like roasted chestnuts, like, like a snack. And chestnuts are really kind of mildly flavored. And I thought that we needed something that was going to be strong enough to stand up to the, the, the kind of rich creaminess of the... Uh, of the stracciatella. So I smoked them, uh, a really strong smoky flavor, uh, and, and made a puree out of it. And we found it was so intensely favor- flavored that we just have a very small amount of it, and we kind of hide it under the stracciatella. So mm. if you're not expecting it, you, you, you get this dish, and there's a little pile of, of curds on the plate surrounded by this this brown broth, and you're like, oh, what is this? And then you start cutting into it uh, and eating it, and there's a, a bunch of, of layers, layers of flavor. One of the things that we've really tried to uh, explore a little bit on this menu is contrasts in temperature. Mm. So we have several dishes that have both hot components and cold components. Um, because it's a little disconcerting, you know, this is, well, and then, the, and, and, and how they combine together and, and affect each other's temperatures and mouthfeel when you're, you're eating them. There's something about contrast, right? Cause there's so many different angles you can take contrast 
it is something I, I think about often because many of the dishes people celebrate in, you know, traditional cuisines from all over the world, like they practice in contrast, right? It's not, if something's just savory, 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 people can love it. But the things that people like celebrate, they have this, there's something contrasting. There's herbaceous, there's acidity, there's, um, you know, textural crunch and crisp and soft and tender. The things that get celebrated the most offer contrast because if it's monotonous, you just get bored or you have it once and you're like, oh, you know, I'll have that two months from now. I'll have that six months yeah, from now. I, I, I think it's important that, that a dish be dynamic. Yeah. Um, and you can get that sometimes through contrast. You can get that sometimes through complementing uh, flavors. And that's the that's the exploration for us. That's the work that we do. We're, we don't always, we're not always going to be, okay, what's going to con- contrast this? Sometimes it's what's going to balance this. What's going to take the edge off the sharpness of this just a bit. So in that, we made we, we made a very 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 rich uh, broth, um, rich in flavor, uh, not heavy by any means. Um, and, and we started with a couple different types of mushrooms. We tossed them in oil and tomato paste and just roasted the hell out of them, like dark. We wanted to build as much flavor uh, as we could. And we uh, added some miso to that. Um, I love miso so much. Um, and some store-bought mushroom broth. Um, and, and various wild mushroom powder, dried mushrooms. And we pressure cooked the whole thing mm-hmm. um, and clarified it and ended up with this just incredible, inc- like just so flavorful, like like in intensely flavored uh, broth. And now you have a little smoke from the chestnut puree uh, and the creaminess of the burrata. And, and we said the dish still needs something else. It needs a little funk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we thought about black garlic and we said, mm, I wonder if you could make black onion. I wonder if you could take shallots maybe and, and treat them the same way as you treat garlic to make black garlic. Mm. Uh, and we said, yeah, I think you can. And we ended it's a hell of an idea. We ended up taking cipollini, and I, I set them up in a, in a, in a rice cooker uh, in my house, and, and it took a month. <laughs> and uh, the thing about the rice cooker was it, it, it wouldn't stay on continuously. It would only stay on for 12 hours. Yeah. And then it would shut itself off. Uh-huh. So I got in this routine of like a month of obsessively <laughs> checking the thing, resetting it every time I walked by it just so that it, that you know, it didn't turn off and, and ruin this, this kind of very slow caramelization um, that was happening over time with the onions. Yeah, because it's, it's a very odd process. People think, you know, black garlic is... It's not fermented. It's a very slow, almost moist, like super long, super deep, like concentration. It's it's a very misunderstood ingredient. Yeah, it's 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 a caramelization. Uh, it's it's all the mired reaction, but it just takes place so slowly. So some of those chemical reactions that happen only 
begin as you approach 200 degrees. Uh, well, we're much under that, but the other component is time. So as the time goes on, this becomes rich. And the, the character of the onions, I mean, if you had one of these with your eyes closed, I don't think you'd recognize it as an onion. Oh, no. Uh, the, the, all the sugars in the onion have kind of got a, a beautiful, turned a beautiful brown and actually black uh, color. And there's a lot of funk to this thing so we we made a puree out of that uh, a fluid gel actually and and we just dot the chestnut puree with that put the stracciatella over pour the broth at the table side and you have this really intensely flavored yet balanced dish yeah that, in my opinion it's the star of the show it's it's certainly my favorite thing that we made for this menu well you can tell right away right so when when you talk about it like we're talking about history, we're talking about other stuff. I can see you light up, right? There's there's something when you, because that process, right? Every step of that process, like it's what it's it's a few bites of a dish, right? It, right, and it's a, it's a small small part of the meal. The thing is, I just think about every. I just think all the time. My my brain is constantly running, and there's a lot of what ifs. Or then, okay, we have two components of this dish. Yeah, it needs something. What does it need? Yeah. And you know, we 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 are capable of making things on the fly, and and oftentimes we do. But then we sometimes have the benefit of, of a long time to kind of, okay, boy, you know what this needs boy, you know what I think would be great with this? Yeah, but what if? Yeah. yeah but then sometimes you do all the work and you, you get them together and it's shit, you yeah. know? But the thing is... Oh, we've all done it. Yeah, but then you have you have this beautiful moment where it's yeah. kind of, I think this is this could be great and you get it together and it's even better than you imagined. And, yeah. And that's really the thing that keeps you coming back, keeps you wanting to do more. For sure. So I want to go into one more dish and that, that'll finish off and we'll put some plugs in at the end, but... I want to talk about a dish that is more seems more hybridized than it is like you just went from scratch, right? Let's talk about hybridizing a dish, which is the paella ravioli, right? So that that's a dish that is fundamentally you're hybridizing a dish that exists in a very traditional way, you know, in Spain and Valencia and all these style, you know, classic paellas with seafood and. You know, you get your socarat, you get your toasted rice, you get, you know, saffron, you get all these flavors, right? And it's so specific to a region in the classical sense of paella. How do you take, how do you go through that process of saying, eh, I want to make this, I want to make it different. I want to package it differently, but still echo those flavors in a traditional way. A relatively traditional way anyways. Yeah, so... We often have like a pasta course uh, mm. on our menus. Um, one, it's something that, that that we can do that is we, we can create a we can create a pasta. We can make a fresh pasta that is unique, that is flavorful. It's a, it's a great vehicle for us to do many different things. We can go in any direction. So we usually have some sort of pasta um, on the menu. And we knew that we wanted to have something, especially we wanted to have choices that maybe were a little more approachable. 
uh, for people than weird, right? If you have people in there and saying, this is the menu, you can do whatever weird stuff you want because they don't have to pick anything. And then when they try it, they're like, oh my God, this is amazing. However, when they have to make a choice and, and something is is written there and, and our menu descriptions are, are pretty Spartan, uh-huh. um, <laughs> we wanted to have something immediately recognizable and a go-to for someone like, uh, I'll have the ravioli, but yeah. we didn't want to just make like, okay, here's some spaghetti. So that dish really is kind of an homage to go back to El Bulli. It's it's two things. It's 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 the region, right? So we're in Spain, a, a, a traditional kind of Spanish thing. But then his his idea of looking at things from different angles, right? And 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 please don't take this as, as me comparing myself to Ferran or Albert Adria, but um, trying to get into that mindset of looking at okay. This is paella. This is great. How could it be different? Okay, yeah. well, we need pasta. So we took the rice that we would make a, a, a paella with, the bomba rice, toasted it and milled it, and used that as a proportion of the flour for the pasta itself. I, I, I Here's the thing. I, I didn't ask you about this ahead of time. Right. I assumed you were doing something along those lines. Like, I knew there was going to be toasted rice in there somewhere because that dish had to have it somewhere, whether it was part of the gremolata that was like toasted rice, or it was going to be part of the, part of the flour, or is it going to be part, it was going to be part of the filling like toasted rice, maybe not texturally, but the flavor, it had to be there. Right. I knew it was going to be there. And that's why I wanted to ask the question. Cause I just wanted to see where, what direction you chose to take toasted traditional rice. Cause I knew you were going to do it. So that, that, the other option would be in the filling. Yep. Um, but we decided to go kind of non-traditional with the filling. We, did, we didn't want to put any, any cheese in the filling. Yeah. Um, because cheese isn't part of paella, right? So, so we had a, a ban on cheese early, although cheese did come into the story uh, <laughs> later on. But, right, so, so right, rice is a grain... Pastas made from ground grains. Okay, makes sense uh, that we put it in there. Okay, so what do we want to fill it with? Well, we, we want to make a seafood mousse. So we, we, we took some cooked shrimp and, and we made a, a, a smoked paprika and saffron infused oil. Um, shrimp shells have so much flavor in them. And we marinated the shrimp uh in that yep and then we processed the whole thing uh in, in a food processor with a with a, a little bit of cream and and, and a, a little bit of egg white and we made this this mousse that is is going to stay volumized when it's cooked uh because of the egg white and we we go through this really tedious and laborious and hand hurting process of, of passing this mousse through something that's called a tammy, which is essentially a, a screen stretched over a drum. And you press it through with a spatula, and, and it's it really sucks, man. It's a job that sucks. However, the result is you, you get a, 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 a mousse that is ethereal, right? There's no grit in it. Right. It's, no... it's optimizing texture, which when you get to the when you get to the nitty-gritty of textural refining texture, it's just brutal. 
Yeah. So oftentimes, right, that's where in our work is the non-glorious part, you know, the shit work that makes your hand cramp after five minutes of doing it. And yet you got to another 20 minutes still till you're done. And yeah. okay, how am I going to get through this? But I mean, for us, again, if it were easy, everyone would do it. If everyone was doing it, why would people come see us? So mm-hmm. we fight our way through those things. And we're driven kind of by that. Like, okay, here, we're doing something that we're taking the extra step to make the product better. Uh, some ingredients that, that have come in vogue kind of uh, over the past couple of years that, that I was introduced to by Paul DeVelder um, at, at Ember Restaurant in Livonia. Mm. And he was opening a new a uh, kind of seafood spot on Canisius Lake called Galeen. And oh, yeah, I heard a lot of good things about that. He, he had a bunch of tinned seafoods on, on the menu. Um, and so instead of a charcuterie board or a cheese board, you could order a tinned seafood and you'd get you, you, whatever it were, sardines, octopus. I mean, again, he had a bunch of them on the menu. Yeah. And Portuguese so, and Spanish love tinned seafood. Yeah, Portuguese yeah, especially, right. but Spanish love it too. It's a thing. And it's a thing that I feel has kind of been looked down on here in the States, but it's started to, started to take off. Uh, so... I said, okay, we're making this seafood-rich dish. Let's try using some tinned seafood in this. So we got uh, three different types of seafood, scallops, mussels, and clams. And we kind of diced those uh, roughly and folded them into the mousse. So that's the filling for our ravioli. So so now we have the rice component, um, and we have these kind of... Uh, seafood flavors. We got the saffron and the the hot smoked paprika, all in there. Mm, we got this, but we're, we're we're the dish is missing something. You know, it's not paella. Why isn't it paella? The sokorat. Yeah, There's no sokorat on here. You know, this pasta is boiled, right? Okay, if we boil the pasta and we press it in something that we can then sear, mm-hmm. and we one of the most flavorful things I think that you can sear is hard cheese like Parmesan. So now we're no longer authentic to the region. However, after we boil the ravioli, we press them on one side uh, in some Parmesan and we pick it up off of a plancha. So that gets seared, little uh, lid over the top, keeps the steam in, warms and softens the top. So a couple of things. You got some unexpected texture that you don't expect with ravioli. You don't expect it to be crunchy or need a knife to cut through it, uh, but it is on one side. You, you get the, the flavor, those caramelized flavors from the, you know, uh, from, from, from the cheese searing, and then you have all the traditional uh, paella kind of flavors inside the, uh, the ravioli. That's so cool. And it's like, I love that. It's, you know, you see those echoes of like, you know, French and Spanish techniques with mousse are like, oh, wow, he just sold, he also just created fish balls. Right. You also created right. a fish ball at the same time, which is like, oh, I can just go buy them in a freezer and go get like stacks of fish balls. But you created a fish ball inside of a pasta. And it's like, oh, that's cool. And it's like, it's weird when you deconst- when you take it back to that with all those steps, but it's all those refined steps that get you there. Side note, I was thinking it was like when you mentioned the cheese, I'm like, oh, you could have gone that way. Like, or he was going to do starchy water and do it like a lacy uh, pot sticker with that decon, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, dehydrated starch that turns into the whole sheet 
where you did that. It was either going to be one of the two when you talked about it. I'm like, yeah, okay, I, either texture away would be fun. I, I thought with with the the, uh, the cheese approximated the sokarat a, a, a little better. Yeah, uh, it's a little more durable. Um, the 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 lacy starch kind of thing. Uh, it's gorgeous. And oh it's, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool technique that you can put any flavor you want into. But it's a very delicate. Thing, it's very sensitive. You know? and and it it. it, it I, I think we gave the pro closest approximation to the uh, uh, effect of the sokara. Yeah. I mean, we could have ground cooked ground rice and put that on there, but then, yep. then it's really just a paella analog. And I didn't want to put even really paella on the menu. I didn't want to announce it as paella. I just wanted to put it out there and maybe a few clever people would, would pick it up. Yeah. But also I recognize that our food is telling a story, but sometimes we need to tell the story to get people to eat the food. To tell the story. To tell the story, <laughs> right. We need the priest to tell the story to tell the so, story. So, I mean, honestly, if it were up to me, we wouldn't ever tell you what you're eating. We would just be like, here. Uh, eat it, love it. A couple a couple of years ago, uh, Dominique Crenn, who is one of my idols, would, would be in Rochester at Jazz Fest time to do like some kind of food judging, you know, a promotional thing. Yeah. And, and she did a demonstration and, and she made this dish with like a, a ham jelly and, and peas, individually peeled peas. Oh my God, the work that so was So much work. But you know, she gave it to someone and they're like, oh, what is it? And she said, just put it in your mouth. Yeah. And that's kind of the thing as a chef, like, yeah, we just want you to eat it. It's going to be delicious. Like, don't think about it. Don't get these those preconceived notions. Which brings us to the beverage pairings with our nephew Ernest. Yeah, we're not telling you what what you're having before you're having it. So, depending what you order, we have a specific beverage that's paired with that. You get your food, your drink is put down right next to you, and you just drink it. And the, the server, if you ask them what it is, and they're much more graceful uh, <laughs> than I am, I, you know, because I would be like, just put it in your mouth, shut up and eat it. And it's a little different message coming from Dominique Crenn right. uh, than it is coming from you. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that's, that's a very, that's one of those like delightful things that comes from somebody. It's like, it's a little different message. <laughs> right. But what we want is yeah. for you to not have any preconceived notions. For sure. And then we could talk about it afterwards of course if you care to but that's not even really the over explaining everything i feel like that's no the experience is boy i had this great thing happen i don't know what it was but it was great because all this it's just a moment in time and that's yeah. what we're trying to do with, with our food with our meals is just capture a moment in time not get too caught up in the details on your end we're definitely caught up on the details oh, yeah. in, in in our construction of these things but we don't want you to think about that. We don't want you to to worry about it. We just want you to know, wow, this is flavorful. This is crunchy. Oh, this is tart. This is all of those things. And just be in that moment. Well, and I, I think what I'll say is you've got a few opportunities to experience, um, you know, the team's creativity from Andy to Sean to people uh, working on getting these beverages perfectly paired for your meal. Um, you have a few more opportunities. So, uh, our nephew Ernest is running through January 25th at Pearson's. Go to srfus.com to get a link directly to Talk, or go to Talk on your phone, and you can get a uh, reservation for one of the upcoming things. We're coming up in January. We don't got a lot of light. We need some bright spots. 
dates are selling out. Yeah, uh, we need we, some bright spots at this time of year. Go get your reservation. Have something to look forward to that gives you something something exciting to do. We, we only have so many opportunities to get exciting stuff in us during these dark uh, months. Well, Now's the time. The holidays are so exhausting. There's so many details to attend to. There's so many, okay, hey, we have to buy gifts. We have to make sure we see this person. We have to get our Christmas cards out. There's so much to do. And we really wanted to create an experience where you don't have to do anything but show up. Uh, there's, there's, you have to make a couple of choices on the menu. I'm a person that suffers from choice paralysis. So mm. we, 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 we tried very hard to find the balance of having enough choices without too many where it's like, Oh my God, I don't know what we're going to get. No, and that's great. And one congratulations on bringing this new menu to the world. Um, I definitely recommend going and checking it out. No, go for it, man. Uh, of note. Yeah. Um, there is a vegan path through the menu. Oh, uh, awesome. So if you're vegan, you can come in, you get uh, the the full four-course menu, plus there's a couple extra freebies that we throw out there that are, that are surprises at the time. Uh, there's a vegan path. There's a gluten-free path. Actually, almost the entire menu is gluten-free as it is, uh, with a couple exceptions, and, and we can make substitutions to, to accommodate those folk. It's, my sister is a vegan. My brother's a vegetarian. Whenever we're going to do something as a as a family, it's it's an ordeal. Okay, where do we go? Are they going to have anything for vegans to eat? Yeah. And a lot of times she ends up with like a plate of rice with some sautéed peppers on top of it. It's and one of the most miserable things for me because I've chosen to do that as well, and it's miserable. So I end up not going to a lot of places because I don't want to be – like, oh, I don't want to be, you have a default. I just threw some red sauce on pasta and threw some steamed vegetables in there. They're just telling me you don't care about me. And that's fine. I'll go somewhere else. But having that option is really fantastic. I appreciate that. We try to incorporate it. Uh, like I said, I've been, I've been to too many dinners with my sister where she feels like uh, a second-class citizen. Yeah. Uh, essentially. And, and we're not like, that's not going to be our business. We're not going to be like, okay, we're going to get all the vegans, you know, but we don't want that to be a barrier to, to you enjoying the experience. So. I love that. So if people do have, uh, uh, have questions, uh, how can they reach out to you or uh, whoever to just double check? It's always good to reach out ahead of time and not show up and spring it on the kitchen. <laughs> so uh, please, uh, if you have questions, how can they reach out um, just to plan ahead? Uh, I just want to give a, a quick a quick anecdote. Please do before before I tell you that we, we did an event uh, at the German House with Chris. It was called Chasing Grapeness mm. Part Two, um, and uh, Maya Johnson Dunn, who, who who now is at uh, the New York Kitchen. I need to meet her, but I've never met her. I really need to meet her. Uh, just just an amazing person, uh, and and. Uh, just vibrant, bright personality, uh, and, and really into uh, the wine scene. So, she wanted to present some wines, which we had pair uh, a menu, and then and she would talk in between courses about her experience uh, in the the world as a wine uh, enthusiast. And we prepared a nine course uh, meal to go along with this for fifty wow. people, right after the the, the pandemic kind of reopened. Yeah, and. We had two people show up. I was, I was greeting the people, and two people showed up and said, oh, shit, we're vegan. <laughs> um, I, and I was like, uh, you, you didn't 
think to yeah. let us know in advance where so here we are in in this facility that that's it's not a, a it's a catering facility. There's no pantry right there. Uh, and we dug through our stuff and we got them nine courses wow. of, uh, of vegan food. That that's so one that's like wild and impressive. But two, um, if you have restrictions, um, if you're gonna die if something's there, if you're gonna be uncomfortable if something's there, um, give the uh, give the courtesy of letting the kitchen prepare for that stuff. Most places, not every place. But many places will happily accommodate if they have the opportunity to prepare in advance. It is strongly recommended, especially if you're going for a dining experience, to reach out ahead of time. There are, we can accommodate a lot of uh, dietary restrictions, uh, whether they be based uh, medically or preference. Um, but yeah, absolutely, uh, a heads up. Uh, can give us time and we can let you know at that time. Jeez, we're not going to be able to accommodate. Um, we can't guarantee that we're going to give you food that's safe for you or absolutely like we can, we can handle that. And the advance notice allows us to make you dishes that are going to be awesome and thought out and not, I mean, not that if we have to throw something together, it's not going to be delicious and whatever, but it's not the, the things that we do, we put a lot of thought into ev yeah, every sure. part of what we do. And we don't have that opportunity if you just show up and say, oh, yeah, BT dubs. Uh, yeah. Um, so if you need to reach us f uh, for any reason, you can just email me, sean at surface.com, S-E-A-N at S-R-F-U-S. Or there's a, an option if you're on the, the talk site to get a message to us when you're making a reservation. That's awesome. So I think uh, tagline is... You don't have to think. Show up, eat a great eat a great meal that's going to bring some light to your January. Go to srfus.com or talk to order, get a reservation, show up, have a great experience. Sean, thanks so much for coming over. I really appreciate the chance to catch up and uh, learn more about what's going on now. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It's been an absolute blast. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Food About Town podcast. If you aren't already subscribed, what are you waiting for? Go to your podcast app of choice and make us your favorite podcast by subscribing and leaving a review if you can. Music for the podcast was created by the fabulous Taurus Savant. You can hear more of his work at taurussavant.bandcamp.com and make your presence known by seeing him perform live. Food About Town is a proud member of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Oh no, here comes McKenneth! This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Chestnuts for the win!